Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Elections are costing more and more in America. Big campaign bucks is playing a decisive role in our politics. How damaging is it and where are we heading? I discussed with Dr. Dan McMillan from Save Democracy in America. Dan McMillan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Steve. Good to be with you. Dan, with the consequential midterms upon us, I'd like to ask you about uh, gerrymandering, not something you hear about every day. So first, if you could just tell us exactly uh, what it is and where the line between gerrymandering and redistricting lies. Well, gerrymandering is basically politicians get into office and then they they get to choose the voters they need to stay in office rather than the voters choosing them. And gerrymandering is just the process of every 10 years after the census, we redraw all the uh, electoral districts for state legislatures and for the House of Representatives because every district is supposed to have the same number of people so that you get the one person, one vote principle. The problem, however, is that where is the line between legitimate redistricting and partisan gerrymandering for partisan advantage? I don't know whether anyone's found that other than to say that we crossed it quite a long time ago. There, both parties have done it always to some degree. And now, uh, according to the Cook Report, there are only, out of the 435 ditches in the House, there are only 33 that are considered genuine toss-ups and another 22 that are considered remotely competitive, which means that uh, really you're talking about 90% of the incumbents are basically in safe districts and safe seats. Dan, there's another uh, topic I want to discuss with you when uh, these elected officials actually do make their way to the Capitol in Washington. Uh, they say money is the root of all evils. Uh, when it comes to money in politics, your organization, Save Democracy in America, really tries to highlight this fact. Um, what should the American people be aware of? Well, what I think is that you know, money, money, and big money, and big money has played a decisive role in our politics. The federal elections of 2020, that is White House and Congress, individuals and pressure groups, corporations spent $14.5 billion. That was in constant dollars, more than twice the cost of the 2016 elections. It's now to the point where members of Congress typically spend 30 hours a week on the phone raising money for the next election rather than doing their jobs. And what this means. It means it's, it's basically destroyed, it's made a complete mockery of the principle of government by the people in our country. I mean, the, the damage, I mean, our, you could already see the damage in, in the 1980s, but it's gotten to a point now, uh, among other things, you can't, you can't bring up in a campaign and you can't bring up in office any policy idea that would be unattractive. Forget even something that would anger donors, even something that's unappealing to donors is a bad idea because you can't, you're not a serious candidate. The media won't take you seriously if already before the primary you haven't raised money up to a very high bar, like say for a house race, at least a half a million. And consequently, more and more, any solution to the country's problems is automatically off the table. To take, for example, just health care. We pay more than twice as much per person in this country as people pay as, as 
other countries pay for health care, like, like France or Canada or whatever, yet we have a lower life expectancy, and one American in 10 has no insurance. Uh, part of the problem is drug manufacturers who throw tons of money at Congress uh, see to it that we're not allowed in this country to regulate drug prices the way every other country does, so Americans pay twice as much for medicine as other people and often go bankrupt uh, trying to pay for medications they need. Health insurance companies are always looking for excuses to deny coverage and are micromanaging doctors. So it sounds like, I mean, this is actually a bipartisan issue in, in the sense that uh, regardless of which party um, you belong to, you essentially enter this apparatus in Washington uh, once you're elected. That, that's exactly right. It is completely a bipartisan problem. And also, I want to say that the donors who give the money, the politicians who, who take the money, Steve, these are not evil people. These are patriotic Americans, just like you and I and everyone in our audience. They're doing what they have to do. If you're a wealthy Republican and you don't lay a lot of cash on the Republican Party, you know that Democratic donors will control our government. If you're a wealthy Democrat, vice the same, you're in the same boat. If you're a politician, fundraising is just part of the job. If you don't have stomach for big ticket fundraising, don't go into politics. So the problem is not the people in our politics. The problem is just the perverted incentives of a money-driven system. And it's not something that any of us chose. It's just the Supreme Court made a bad decision in 1976. A few other things happened in the way that politics is done. The money has a dynamic of its own. And I can't say it strongly enough. Our fellow Americans are not the enemy. The money and only the money is our enemy. And it's the enemy of us all. Dan McMillan, Save Democracy in America. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. Today marks International Overdose Awareness Day as the deadly opioid drug called fentanyl sweeps the country. Here to discuss, we're happy to have retired DEA agent Derek Maltz. Derek Maltz, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thank you for having me on this important topic here. Derek, today is uh, International Overdose Awareness Day. As a retired DEA agent being on the front lines, uh, what is the most uh, pressing matter right now from your perspective? Well, from my perspective, we have a chemical weapon attack on American kids, and we have a lack of engagement from the White House, and the sense of urgency just doesn't exist. I mean, right now, families around the country are waking up and finding their loved ones dead in the bedrooms, sometimes from one pill that they've ordered on social media. But the problem is, this is not your typical drug crisis. This is a mass poisoning of American citizens. And we've never seen this in the history of the country. Unfortunately, the current administration is kind of using old talking points on the opioid addiction crisis, which we also have, by the way. But this is way more severe, and we need to operate with a sense of urgency. And right now, it's not happening. Derek, I don't think this is really political for you. I personally met you at a small-scale event with absolutely no media uh, about over a year ago. And it was just the families of loved ones uh, who, who, who lost them to uh, fentanyl. Uh, this is personal for you. Why? Well, look, when you listen to the stories of these poor families that had beautiful kids, that had bright futures, that made one mistake. And, and you know, I have a saying that I've been using that kids should learn from mistakes, not die from mistakes. 
And I also have another saying, and I'm very serious about this. This is one issue that's not a red or a blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue. And speaking of the families, last year we had the rally outside of the Chinese embassy in August. This year in September, September 17th, we have a big rally that's scheduled uh, starting out on the lawn. And then we're going to walk over to the White House and there'll be hundreds and hundreds of families from around the country uh, here to spread awareness because they just don't understand why this issue is being ignored. It's like something we can't even talk about. We can't understand it. Who in America wants to see a 13-year-old dead from poison coming from labs in Mexico or China? It's insanity. And we don't address it. We're not addressing it. There's no public service announcements. Where's all the, the celebrities and influencers out there? They don't want to talk about it because they don't understand it. They think it's a typical drug crisis. This is a poisoning. And the Communist Party of China is also behind it. Derek, you often mention the Chinese Communist Party's uh, culpability on this epidemic. It can appear abstract in a way, but you say it needs to be confronted. Well, let me tell you this. I agree with you. It seems like really out there. And let me explain this to you. I was fortunate. I ran the Special Operations Division for about 10 years. 30 agencies, three countries, NYPD, Intel community, DOD. I was fortunate to be in the middle of these operations to get the intelligence on a daily basis. When we saw in 2008, 2009 timeframe, synthetic drugs coming into America from Wuhan style labs that were impacting our American citizens. At first it was synthetic drugs like synthetic cannabinoids, cathinones, and they were like advertised as K2 spice, synthetic marijuana, bath salts. And what was happening is the kids were smoking this stuff, using this stuff, and they were going to the emergency room. There was poison control center calls. None of the parents knew about it. I didn't even know about it. I was running the largest law enforcement center going after drug traffickers. I didn't even know about it. So what happened was after we put some significant um, pressure on the Chinese lab operators, they then shifted. And then we started seeing fentanyl on the streets of America. Around 2012, we started seeing mass amounts of deaths starting in America from fentanyl. Again, I had no idea as the head of this operation that fentanyl was all over these street drugs. Then we started seeing the convergence of the Mexican cartels with the Chinese lab operators, and then the Dominican traffickers pushing the stuff on the streets, and then all of a sudden, the deaths went through the, through the roof. In talking to many experts around the world regarding the Communist Party's you know, unrestricted warfare, they're looking to destabilize their adversary. What better way than to use the Mexican cartels as their proxies to, to destroy our families, our communities, and our kids? It's a, brilliant it's a brilliant plan on behalf of the Communist Party of China to accomplish their goal, to destroy Americans' you know, power and world influence. Retired DEA agent Derek Maltz, thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Charlie Kirk, the founder of Turning Point USA, sat down with NTD's Melina Wisecup at Turning Point's Student Action Summit. Kirk explains what it means to stand by objective moral truths and why colleges should be held accountable for eroding these values. 
All right, so I'm here with Charlie Kirk, who is the president and founder of Turning Point USA. Thank you for sparing some time to join us. Thank you. Love NTD. Of course. Great. Um, so you said at your intro speech that you believe there are moral truths yes. that the conservative movement abides by. What are those moral truths? Can you give us some yeah, examples? Yeah, it starts with the laws of nature and nature is God. Uh, for example, I believe that there is a creator and we are not him. That's a good place to start. Uh, not only do we believe in the moral truth, obviously we believe in the natural truth, and I believe that you know, for example, in Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologica, he talks in great detail what the natural law is, mm -hmm. that there is a way that people should live. And that's not a uniquely Christian belief, by the way. In Eastern culture, it's called the Tao. In many other religions, it would be just called the way. You know, Jesus in the scriptures would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But to say that anyone can live any way they want to live is actually doing a disservice to them. Now, of course, there's complexity. There's, there's deviations in that. For example, you might like coffee, I might like tea. That's, that's silly micromanagement. But to say that, you know, I'm going to live my life just to serve myself, no. Mm -hmm. In fact, I believe we are here to serve others above yourself, including getting married and having children. And so believing in the natural law is something, for example, as we believe that there is a natural law that the strong should protect the weak and that power should not be centralized, and that you should have the consent of the governed, and that you should have a structure that represents those things. So the natural law, I think, is written really in our hearts and in our DNA. It's written all around us, and it's something that uh, I believe the conservative movement needs to embrace. Mm, I think that's beautifully said. Thank you so much. So, you know, we, one of the things that makes it more difficult, especially for young people to hold on to those moral truths and apply them to their everyday lives, is, of course, the education system. From, K, from kindergarten yes. through college, they are just indoctrinated and they're not taught, they're taught more self-serving principles rather than moral truths. That's right. Um, so I wanted to ask you about your book. You wrote a book uh, that's holding the university system accountable. Yeah, college Scam. Okay, oh, great. So if you could just lay out what's sure. in there. So uh, people could check it out, collegescam.com. Um, look, basically the book makes the argument that the college industry has done such a disservice for brainwashing and bankrupting young people, and it really hasn't received the criticism I think it quite deserves. So I'm the best and worst person to write this book. I didn't go to college, so I could tell you what you could do without going to college, but I didn't actually go to college. However, I do run Turning Point USA, which has a pretty good footprint, and so I'm in touch, you could say, better than most on kind of what's happening on university campuses. But what we do in this book is we put the college industry on trial. We indict the college industry as if a prosecutor would, as how they are corrupted by foreign influences, on how the college industry um, is wildly, wildly out of reach financially for most young people, and the idea pathogens that are released like viruses from these universities. Mm -hmm. And so unless you send your kid to Hillsdale College, you shouldn't send your kid to college. Mm -hmm. And if you do, well, then you're playing Russian roulette with your kids' values. Mm. And I wanted to ask you about solutions here. I mean, would this is the only solution to just co sort of boycott these colleges and just not go, or are there other options? I mean, does, does action need to be taken further besides just simply not going? I think it's an above-all thing. I think not going and, you know, enter entertaining trade schools is really important. Mm. Uh, I think we should seize the endowments of these universities that have hoarded hunt sometimes billions of dollars of cash tax-free to be able to basically become a hedge fund with a school attached. Uh, but also we have to build new universities and we have to build new schools. But if we're honest with ourselves, the gap is not, we don't need more people just staring at screens right now. Right. We need more people that know how to do muscular labor, carpenters, electricians, plumbers. Mm -hmm. But in upper middle class suburban society, most parents don't want their kids to work with their hands. Mm -hmm. They'd rather have them take the risk of them becoming a communist than staring at a screen all day long. All right, thank you so much, thank Charlie you. Kirk. God bless you.
I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.